Welcome to the Humans of Nutrition podcast, brought to you by Nutrition Talent, a consultancy and recruitment company specialising in the provision of nutrition expertise. I'm Dr. Danielle McCarthy. And I'm Anna Wheeler. This podcast delves into the world of nutrition to help unlock ideas and collaborative action so that everyone can thrive. Today we will be speaking to Kathy Kaplan, who is Head of Health and Sustainable Diets at IGD. Kathy studied geography and economics at the University of Birmingham. She worked for many years at Kantar World Panel UK as Strategic Insight Director for the Nutrition and Public Sector, and that's where we first met, and she has relatively recently moved across to IGD. Kathy isn't a nutritionist by trade, yet she has worked alongside those in the profession for many years and has a wealth of experience in analysing health habits and understanding consumer behaviour. Well, Kathy, thanks so much for joining us today. It's really good to have you on, on the podcast. Um, I think we'll start by kicking off with our first question. And just to give our listeners a bit of context, can you tell us a little bit more about the IGD? Yes, it's lovely to be here today. Um, Yes, IGD is a very interesting organisation. It's um, a charity um, and the aim is to deliver social impact um, through and for the food and consumer goods industry. So we work to make a positive difference and support industry on some of the big economic, social and environmental issues. Um, And that's basically what we're, we're trying to do. Wow, it's so brilliant to have organisations like that and to have you today sharing some of that work is just incredibly exciting. I guess one of the topics that I'm really passionate about is healthy, sustainable diets. And I know that's something that you guys have been looking into. It can be a very complex area and interpreted in lots of different ways. So how would you define that area and how it stands today? That's a tricky question, Danielle. And one that, yes, I'm not going to answer very well, but just to say, yeah, that is probably the most difficult question that you're going to ask today. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> Start with um, the hard <laughs> Because there are many ways and, there, you know, it's a debate that goes on. And because I'm not a nutritionist, then it's something that I tend to not to have a view on. But what I would say is from my background, you do need to have a, a way of assessing things, of, of you know, of um, sort of saying where we are, where we want to go and how we're going to get there. And therefore, you sometimes have to have something that isn't perfect, that's something that we can then work with and IGD we certainly work with the Eat Well Guide that has been the way that we think everyone understands it we know what it is it's not perfect but actually it's a good indication of where we want to get and where we want to work to um, as a society. Yeah absolutely it's you know don't let perfection stand in the way of, of good and progress and all those things and you're right you know the Eat Well Guide it's been there for such a long time, but it is such a, a good place to, to start, at least, those conversations. Um, and, you know, recently, IGD has published the results from your behaviour change trials, which are run with Leeds and ASDA and Sainsbury's. Um, and it's so innovative. Come on, share, share some of that work. You know, it's, it's something that, yeah. you know, I was involved in early on at my time at Sainsbury's, and it's just mm. fabulous to see those results coming out now. So do you want to share a little bit more about that work? Yeah, very happy to. And I think actually that's one of the main reasons I'm at IGD, um, coming from a commercial market research background where there's so much, you know, you're working with different companies, but this is about sharing insight. This is about working and sharing what works and what doesn't work. Now, we know that if you ask consumers or shoppers whether they want to have a healthier, sustainable diet, most will say yes 
do we see the evidence in the shopping baskets? No. So is there obesity crisis? Yes. So we, we know that there's a mismatch between what people aspire to do and what they do. Um, and this is what the trials, these are what really what the trials are trying to do, that we've done lots of consumer research to understand, identify certain um, levers, triggers that will actually help consumers to make, you know, changes, things like the product placement, signposting, incentives, influence. They're the, the things that we know that consumers are saying make will make them make changes, nudge them in the right direction. But what actually happens when these things are in, in store and they're going in to do their shopping? And that's what these trials are about. And we have run with retailers five um large-scale intervention trials when they've trialed something in store and we're using the store card information um, which is then analysed by Leeds University to really provide really robust results on whether these interventions have worked or not. So the ones that we've just published this week are three fascinating trials um, that have been in the in the discussion for years I have to say you know I've inherited yeah. them and I'm very happy to inherit them one was about Sainsbury's topping up the healthy start vouchers so uh, uh, you know giving another two pounds per week to those people who were using them the healthy start vouchers in Sainsbury's that should be used on fruit and veg so a real intervention on the low-income families and what we found from that one is that there was a impact on the overall basket. They didn't compensate, you know, buy fruit and veg and then buy more, you know, use that money to spend on other things. We actually saw an improvement in the baskets. So we know that that intervention, if you if you actually target those low income um, groups, that can work. And we know that Sainsbury's have extended the the, the scheme because of that. Um, the other one was about meat free place uh, placement of meat free alternatives in store, and that was with ASDA. Lots of research was saying that consumers wanted the meat-free alternatives by the meat products. Lots of evidence, lots of research was going on in that area. And actually, in Asda, when we did the when they actually did the trial and moved them right next to the the meat counterparts, sales went down. And that's because we think that the price differential between the meat-free alternatives and meat products was really highlighted. So it's not saying it doesn't work, it's just saying be very cautious when you do something like that. Placement can work, but you have to be very clear of what's going to happen with the price differentials when you do that. And I think that's fascinating as well, that you're actually showing what doesn't work as well as what does work. And I think that was what was really sort of jumped out on me from that report as well. So it's, it's great to get that side of the research, not just these are the things that definitely do work and definitely will help. Yeah, and that's where I think that's where IGD and the, re the retailers who've done the trials and the industry is where the real magic happens because mm. it is in the public domain. So trials yeah. are happening all the time. We know that retailers are doing the trials and it's just what will be what can we learn and what can we um you know, move forward on. And it's all about the evidence and hoping to reduce the risk for industry, hoping to say, look, you know, this is what we've learned, this is what we've seen. But these are so robust, the trials, you know, they are, you know, statistically significant, you know, the involvement of Leeds University makes it really very special. Mm. And there was a third part of that trial as well, wasn't there? So what did that one look at? Yeah, the third trial that we did was a continuation of one that we published some results on at the end of last year, which was a price and signposting promotion in Sainsbury's on fruit and veg. Mm. Now, we have known 
you know, manufacturers and brands and retailers have known for years how you can increase sales of products through price and promotion. But we haven't had much evidence on healthier products. So it was, you know, it's just reassuring to know that if you do these things, signposting a cheaper price on certain fruit and veg, you will see an uptake in, in sales. What we were able to see is that, that though that that wasn't sustained, so that whole pro, um, sort of promotional cycle worked mm. in the same way that you'll see quite a big impact for three weeks, but actually people won't necessarily carry on doing that activity, and it tended to appeal to those who are already healthy. So you're you're not yeah. going to get the people you know the healthy start vouchers was a very different trial, and that I think is it shows that sort of different targeting is needed. Um, yeah, when we're looking yeah. at, at these things. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's wonderful that that research is spanning all of the different groups with all of the complex determinants that different families have in terms of what they feel able to do and have the capacity to do. So, you know, it's that is just wonderful that so much can have been looked at that is relevant to so many different people in research rather than necessarily only focusing from a commercial orientation sometimes it's for those consumers that you know are are high income high disposable income you know that that's kind of high functional foods and and, you know yes who's got the the money in the pocket to pay for these you know there is that big commercial piece to it so actually you know research to span all people from all different groups is just brilliant and hopefully is what the future will be you know looking at these is to make sure that there are pathways to impact everybody I think from my work at Kantar, um, just there is no one consumer, there is no one shopper and, you know, that we're all different and we have different motivations. You can look at some general trends and you can look at things and you can get some general guidance, but really to understand what people are doing with healthy and sustainable diets, you do need to really start to segment them in, in, a, in a different way. Yeah. Uh, that's brilliant to hear about that work and it's a it's a fascinating read so I would encourage all of our listeners to to you know head to your website and download that report because it's also beautifully presented and and the, the information is so simple and easy to digest so I think it's a it's a great read Thank um, you. and then thinking about sort of the other end of the scale because we've been talking about you know some of the healthier products that are being you know signposted towards in in the in the retailers there but obviously also HFSS restrictions have just come into force. So hot off the press, it would be great to get your your input on that because actually now supermarkets have got to make changes to where they are putting products in store. Um, and I should say that's the high fat salt sugar. I'm sure most of our listeners are well aware of HFSS, but for anyone that isn't, that is the acronym that we're all using. Um, so what are your thoughts on how this is likely to impact on consumer behaviour going forwards? What, what can we see in the next few months, do you think? Mm. Well, it's an interesting because this is the biggest trial, isn't it? This is, a, yeah, you know, a, it, it's, it's more than a trial because it's mm. happening. And I think that whole area of the impact of this is we are just going to have to be patient and wait and see and see the evidence on this. And when I worked at Kantar, I was involved in a big study on the impact of promotions on consumption, you know, on, on purchasing and and then for consumption and we could certainly see that the promotions work you know they do encourage people to buy more product than they would do otherwise it doesn't mean that if the the impact of the gondola end and some of the it's not price promotions it's some of them have stopped the multi-buys it's a bit muddly isn't it and the different retailers have, have have sort of done different strategies in store so I think it is a fascinating 
fascinating area, but we are going to have to wait, I think, a good six months or so to see whether has has there been an overall impact at all. Consumers are pretty canny. And we know from all the other government work that they're quite resistant. You know, if they want their chocolate and their cake, they will look for them. So, I'm, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if those changes have made any difference. Um, and I think we just have to do that very much in an evidence base, not to, you know, really understand what's happened and the impact. And it doesn't help, obviously, that there's the doubt over the policy as well now. So we've just got this whole thing about the future. So I think we are in quite a difficult a bit of a muddle on that as well at the moment yeah absolutely so things have changed with what the planned timeline was for the legislation and with the new prime minister coming in things are a bit up in the air as to whether that legislation is even going to happen in the future I mean do you I don't suppose you have any further insights on that that you can share with us do you (laughs) no further insights but I think one of the things that I've observed I've been in in this industry for quite a few years is that quite often a change of government will come come in and say we're going to do things differently but the facts are that we are in obesity crisis the cost of the nhs and we're in a climate crisis so we have there has to be a strategy so i think those things they may look slightly different but we have to have some sort of restriction and everywhere i i go when we talk to industry they're looking for guidance from the government they they want that it's so i i think it will come in it's just the delay is 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 is, is can't be avoided i think at the moment. yeah yeah and i absolutely agree um but one of the things that we're we're finding when we're talking to our you know colleagues at the moment and some of the people that we work with within our community is that keeping health top of the agenda when there are so many other business needs at the moment obviously cost and price being the mm. key one you know it, it's difficult to keep health top of mind um and obviously this can impact on all of those you know, things that you were already talking about. So are you seeing this with some of your you know, members that you speak to? And what would your advice be to help us all to keep health top of the agenda? It's definitely true that, you know, in times of economic crisis, health and things like sustainability will go down consumers' minds. I, and I think we just know that that's going to be the, the, the case. I think there are... I suppose it's looking at it from a long-term and short-term perspective as well, isn't it? That, you know, hopefully this is a short-term cost of living crisis, fingers crossed. But, you know, we can't let something like this stop some of the good work that's that's going on and saying that consumers can't afford to eat healthily. We've still got to work through um, all the different, you know, evidence-based trials and work through what works and what doesn't work. In fact, it's more important now because then businesses don't want you know reducing risk to businesses is also very very important the other thing is that price will always is always top of the list of a barrier for healthy and sustainable diets but it's not the only barrier there are things like taste there's you know convenience and sometimes it's perceived cost as well so there is still quite a lot of things I think we can do but just knowing that yes it but when you're talking to shoppers and you're talking to people this will always be the thing that they talk about most um and just to be very aware so i think the interventions that we've had you know price of fruit and veg it's just a very good time now to 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 do some of those things in store because they'll appeal to people and hopefully um will improve the darts as well brilliant thank you yeah and, and I'm going to sort of move move topic a little bit there um, in terms of, 
you know, collaborations and, and and where have you seen those successful collaborations? Obviously, that example of, you know, the university researchers, two big UK retailers working together with yourselves to figure out how can we work with a, a diverse consumer base to really understand what's going to work for them in terms of going forward with health? Have you got, what would you say in terms of examples of, of great collaborations that you've seen either within IGD or, or, or your, along, along your career? Um, it's something that both Anne and I are really passionate about within Nutrition Talent is, you know, we, will, we, we need to work in partnership to actually have that impact. And obviously you've worked with nutritionists um, along your career. So I just wondered, you know, have you got any examples that will fill our hearts with hope about those, <laughs> those great collaborations to make positive change happen? Well, I think working at IGD, it's, that's just what it's all about. You know, we are a charity, so, but we bring people together. We run these working groups. So we do have, you know, groups of people like an, an industry nutritionist group. We work with senior people on, on, on people's side, technical leaders. And what I've noticed in that process, especially coming from a commercial market research business where everything was very secretive and you don't share anything, you know, how much how much goodwill there is to to share and to learn from each other and particularly on healthy and sustainable diets. There's a real appetite to learn and to push the agenda through into industry and we just have to 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 help that process but you have to bring everyone on board don't you you have to I mean it's it's difficult because it takes time to get everyone together and to collaborate but the the more voices we have the more we can learn um the better it is but with a goal of just moving things on a bit faster than perhaps we've seen in the past and like you were saying earlier Danielle things don't have to be perfect we just sometimes have to get things done or try things out um but I've yeah I've been really impressed with the industry nutritionist about how much they want to do it um and I was at a John Lewis sustainability conference on Tuesday this week and it was all talking about how everyone gets it now and it's just a question of yeah how how's the industry going to work together to, to move things on yeah fabulous well that is definitely great hope there um absolutely really great to hear Cathy um, and just thinking a bit more about stakeholders, like across the food system in general, um, where do you think most progress is happening? Obviously, you've given us some great examples already, but is there anything else you're seeing where there's really great progress taking place at the moment? What I've also seen, actually, within in the government is that there is definitely a move to work with industry now that we perhaps hadn't seen five or ten years ago. Um, I don't know all the reasons for it, but certainly there's that understanding that that's how you get things done um, rather than actually this is what you've got to do. But how do we do it? What, what can we all learn? So I do feel that there is that opening up. Um, and obviously there's government money for running behaviour change trials. There's a feeling that that's, that's, you know, evidence and sharing evidence and sharing stories is, is very good. I still think there's quite a lot of confusion. And I think the more I work in this field, the more confused I sometimes get about the advice. Having a conversation the other day with someone about sweeteners, you know. Uh, oh, I could bad. talk to you a lot about sweeteners. <laughs> yeah, you know. Spent a lot of time in that field. <laughs> and it's, I just, I don't know as a consumer who's interested it. I think there is still, yeah, there's still a lot of confusion out there. Yeah. Um, and I think we do still need to do a lot more on just what people 
the messaging and how you get people to, to, to hear it. And will people ever look at ingredients? Will they care about sweetness? I, I don't know, but we really got to do more, I think, on that area. Um, yeah. Oh, well, that's good to hear. And well, I mean, it's not good to hear, but it's good to hear that nutritionists can have a place in that. And I think that's, again, what we're both really passionate about is that our voices need to be raised to help, you know, cut through some of that confusion. Um, and we see, you know, some of our colleagues doing fantastic things in that space. But I think we all need to do more. And, you know, partly why we wanted to to start this podcast, you know, to be having these conversations and raising some of these kinds of issues. But you're certainly taking me back to my coat days thinking about sweeteners because I spent a lot of time on that. So maybe that should be the topic of another podcast in the future to put some of those myths to bed. But, you know, that's for another day. <laughs> but we've talked about some of the, the progress. Where would you say is the most controversy? Obviously, the messaging is one area. But we've one of the things that we're talking to our guests about is different challenging conversations that we've we've had in our careers so have you had any you know particularly challenges you know challenging or complex situations in your career when it's been about you know turning that evidence or ambition into you know practical action yeah I I can think of two areas actually the first area which has been really through my whole career is the challenge between the commercial um how you measure commercial success and how you measure success in this. And I don't think in all companies, some companies are doing it really well. Other companies, there's still a massive conflict between what success looks like. And I think until we crack that, that's going to be very difficult. If your job is to sell more, that is going to be what you put your energy. If your job is to improve the darts, you know, and how we can combine those much more. And that's happening, obviously, within the investor community and it's, it's happening. But I think that's really going to be where we see a, a, a changing a change in in that. Um, the other area that I'm seeing much more as well, which I think is more of a shopper um, confusion, is about the environment and health. Because at IGD, we're working on developing, a, um, a, doing trials on an environmental label. Um, all the difficulties about how you collect the information, what you put on the label. And then when the, the shopper's there with an environmental label and a health label, yeah. none of us really know what that's going to look like in terms of, oh, that's, I didn't realise that product was bad for the planet, it's good for me, you know, and all that. And I think that whole area of combining health and sustainability, I think there is going to be a lot of challenges going forward um, that we just need to face into. I think you're right. That is such a key challenge. And, and obviously the, the conversations that you have with marketeers a lot is, you know, there's a lot of information they've got to fit on a pack, depending what the product is, of course, and what size it is. But if we're then asking them to put an environmental label on as well as a health label, you know, people don't even understand, you know, no. reference intakes and color colors on the front of pack already. So I think that's a, ma a massive challenge for all of us. But hopefully with all the you know, the brains that we have within within the community, we can come up with some great answers in time. Yeah, it's certainly start somewhere. Sorry. Don't yeah. You? Yeah. No, I, I think it is. It's one of those things whereby, you know, I think 10 years ago as a nutritionist, we thought our science was complex enough. And actually mm. now we need to open up and understand what well, is the technical piece around those environmental components that drive health, planetary health. And then what are the nutritional components that that drive health for for animals and for humans? So yeah, that's what makes, I guess, the whole piece so very exciting, you know, taking on those. And, and it's about not being overwhelmed by it, but it's taking it off in small chunks to see what can we do. And Cathy, it's really interesting because one of the research projects I'm doing at Queen's University is around that whole area of environment and nutrition and communication. So we need to catch up you on do. that. <laughs> we, we, we need to pick up on that. Um, 
a bit further. We're, we're coming to sort of the, the end, the end of the time that we have today. So I've got sort of one last question for you here, which is, you know, we love to end the podcast on a really positive note. Um, so what is your hope for the future, Kathy? You sort of touched on some things there, but if I could give you a magic wand today, um, what would you like to see happen over the next five to 10 years that will have the most impact on health of our society, of our people and planet? I think we know what we need to do. I don't think we... I think we do know and I think we've got a pretty good idea of how we could get there and I think we've just got to make a big jump now and everyone has to be on board with it. I think if we were all behind it, progress could happen really, really quickly. I think it's just that, yeah, everyone's got to get to that point. And, um, and the other thing is about small changes, small improvements are okay. We don't need massive, big, you know, every improvement in the diet is an improvement in the diet. Let's keep working on those getting lots of small improvements as well don't don't give up hope on that and I think some of the interventions that you've been doing have really highlighted that well I think I read was it 13 extra portions of fruit and vegetables turned up in yes. people's shopping baskets from that one intervention at Sainsbury's with the the healthy start voucher I think that one was yes I mean was. that's that's incredible I mean 13 extra portions is you know getting us a lot closer to the where we need to be of course yeah. yeah, and let's just keep on chipping away, Cathy. I like that. <laughs> chip, chip, we'll get there. Yeah, we will. <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you so very much for your time today, Cathy. It's been, uh, you know, really insightful. Great to hear about the brilliant work that you're doing at IGD and a bit about your your background at Cantar as well. I mean, that having that real understanding of what consumers do in real life, you know, is is so very valuable for all of us. So we'll be watching, you know, with interest, you know, what IGD does next and and also how the HFSS implementation actually lands so um i'm sure igd will be coming up with some great information on that for us moving forwards as well hopefully <laughs> yes so thank you again we're gonna roll our outro and then we'll yeah we'll be back soon for another episode of our podcast thanks for listening to another episode of the humans nutrition podcast proudly brought to you by nutrition talent Nutrition Talent is a consultancy and recruitment company specialising in the provision of nutrition expertise. For more information about us and how we could work together, check out nutritiontalent.com.